podcast we're here it's in steven's bible fun time explosion and <laughs> <HQ. New> name. <laughs> <laughs> well we kind of rebooted uh we're living the high life very much if i remember correctly uh we started this show interviewing nutella pizzas from local <laughs> cafes mm, but mm. we've come up in the world i've got a can right here of sea cave premium uh, beluga Siberian Sturgeon Black Caviar. <laughs> I do truly. <laughs> so many names. <laughs> would you like to read the uh, the back of the container and tell us the price tag, Claire Smealy? Oh, yes. Well, drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. This is for a, a small can. Yeah, how many grams is this? 100 grams? 100 grams. 100 grams. Not many at all. Encased in gold. Yes. It is a sort of gold, gold colored foiling, tin. A nice picture of a fish of some kind. Wait, what, a, a trout? <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's it? a beluga. A beluga. Oh, okay, it's sorry. It's a Siberian I'm sturgeon. Not, I'm not used to the high life, you see. Um, okay, so... <laughs> sorry, I was going to say a line, but then it wasn't very funny. Um, That's right, I'll keep that in, don't worry. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Cut it out. Alright, drum roll. Drum roll. Drum I, roll. Uh, that doesn't sound awful in the microphone. Just I'll give it a little... Noise. <laughs> 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 $225. 220 wow. So that is, uh, what, $2.25 a gram. Mm. <laughs> That's almost as expensive as printer ink. <laughs> almost. Um, pretty on par. So, so you've prepared us a nice little caviar I piece. have. I put some... some <laughs> How much do you reckon this little piece of toast yeah, would be true. worth? I reckon these are about probably 20 bucks. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is at least, is it, uh, it's probably at least $40 on the plate total. So, you know, a little bit less than 20 bucks a slice. Wow. Um, I, yeah, so uh, we've, we've just made so much success with the podcast. Yeah, there's royalties. The money's rolling in, <laughs> and uh, here we are. Look how far we've come. We started with a lowly Nutella wood-fired pizza, mm. and here we are. Spaces like, of lawn. <laughs> <laughs> here we are eating black caviar. It's like those YouTube unboxing videos. <laughs> yeah. No, more truly, Farage came over last night, and he is from Azerbaijan, and he... He grew up eating this. It was very common in Baku and Azerbaijan. And we were having black caviar because his grandparents had bought it for him to reminisce about the old days. Mm, the yes. old days. And he with said, I can't caviar. eat alone. It's too expensive. I'm coming over. I'm going to eat caviar with you. And when he left last night, he said, I'm going to leave it here. I can't take it home. You, you just have the rest. <laughs> now, that's it's not that much left. I reckon I ate about $150 of black <laughs> caviar last night. But something costs $225 saying you can have the rest. It's very I know. generous. <laughs> yeah, it's probably another, you know. Fair bit of money in that can still. But I said to Claire, like, would you try it? And she's like, oh, I don't really like fishy things. I'll have an egg. <laughs> I'll try an egg. Well, singular well, egg. Well, Is there butter on here. this bread? She's trying black caviar and she's worried about the butter. <laughs> but yes. There is? Yes, there oh, is. You ha- it's traditionally had with buttered bread and caviar. Fine. Hopefully the caviar will mask the, the flavor of the, the butter. The, well, it will. The caviar has a much stronger flavor. Anyway, shall we tuck in? Okay, I'm going to go sure. the egg heavy side. <laughs> <laughs> It's a heavy egg episode. <laughs> Alright, let's bite in. I want to hear your reviews. <laughs> so the egg heavy side. I'm chewing. Oh, salty. Mm. Mm. Now, I have a very accurate description flavor, but I want to hear yours first before I taint your assessment. Oh. Um. It's um, not like a Japanese restaurant. 
It smells like a Japanese restaurant. Mm. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Just raw fish, I think. Um, and then it tastes like I've just kind of dipped my tongue into like a really salty bit of water yeah. at the beach. Yeah, I was going to say swim in the ocean and accidentally, like getting dunked and then... Um, <laughs> well, you pay good money for that. Yeah, so there's a bit of whitewash in there as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> you or like know. accidentally getting a bit of seaweed in your mouth and being like... It is seaweedy, salty. that's an accurate yeah. flavor. Yeah. Can I tell you what I think it tastes exactly like? Sure. If you want to know what uh, $225 a tin black caviar <laughs> imported from Siberia tastes like, uh, fishy Vegemite. <laughs> fishy Vegemite? Mm, uh, maybe. It has like a creamy, a creamy texture about it somehow. Without okay. the butter. <laughs> that's probably the butter. <laughs> <laughs> Butter makes everything worse, I told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Creamy isn't really what I associate with worse, but mm. yeah, this is, I, I think, a fishy Vegemite. Mm. Maybe. Uh, also, you only signed up for an egg, but Claire, that was a good, you just had a whole family. It. I had the biggest piece <laughs> out of all of them. You did. Claire had a whole... A school. <laughs> well, the reason why it's so expensive is because they were almost fished to extinction. Mm. So you, you just entered the gene pool significantly. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> no, it used to be current, uh, very, very common, apparently, but they, they had to up the price and uh, restrict the fishing so that the beluga could repopulate. Mm. And we long for a day when the Lord Jesus comes and beluga caviar is cheap again. <laughs> is it bad that like the main undertone I can taste is the butter? Well, <laughs> see Claire has a deep so... butter aversion, which has come up multiple times. She's, she has a mild so fear of butter. I just don't like it. Wait, you really don't like butter? No, I no. Surely you've been privy to this. She's well, afraid I of you butter. Might, might like I'm the taste of it, of it, but just afraid of like its form. <laughs> butter in itself I put no. a thin spread of butter on a piece of toast and that's so powerful that Claire can't taste the strongest flavour of <laughs> the black caviar no I'm not afraid of butter I just I just don't love the thought of like a piece of untoasted bread like smothered with butter that's for just, ethical reasons? no <laughs> just because like it, because it, was milk it just <laughs> makes me really uncomfortable like have like a physical reaction this butter is caged free <laughs> yeah yeah. I don't know. It just ha makes me have a reaction. Anyway, we're talking about caviar, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> not your weird fear of butter. All right. Well, you know, how's the high life? What do you reckon? It's salty. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that uh, Faraj was telling me that the rich people in Russia, they eat their caviar, take it out of the tin, with a spoon inlaid with mother of pearl. Oh, wow. So that the caviar will be untainted. It will only touch, you know, sea things. It won't touch a metal spoon on its way. It's right. quite, quite unbiblical. Untainted, pure. Untainted, <laughs> pure, holy. Yeah. But the, the trouble apart. is, what's this can made of? It's a metal can. Yeah. All right. You can't scoop your, your your little caviar out of your metal can with a mother of pearl spoon, so it's not tainted by this. You gotta go scoop it out of it. Yeah, you gotta eat it straight out of the beluga. <laughs> My preferred way is to take a beluga out of the sea. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Just pop a little hole and then mouth to the fish. <laughs> Suck where, up the where eggs. Does it, where does it um, congregate the eggs? Like whereabouts? In its little, in its little um, in the ocean, womb bit, I guess. In its ovaries. <laughs> the womb bit. Yeah, no, literally. Have a yeah, big, well, that makes sense. They have a big pouch in their little fish uterus, I guess. <laughs> I guess is what oh, it so would they're, be. Not, they're not laid. Are they, aren't the eggs laid? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but usually to if you're getting caviar, I think you catch the fish and cut them open and take it. Oh, jeez. Okay. Oh no! It's yeah, a right. gruesome process. What well, do they do with the so fish? I hope they eat that too. Yeah, of course, they eat the fish. <laughs> <laughs> Eating so fish, you would have heard of it. So many belugas just strewn around. Well, this is place. why they almost went extinct. <laughs> Everyone wanted their juicy, juicy eggs. <laughs> All right, we're going to get on with the show. We're going to um, 
I don't know, maybe we'll talk about Jesus' condemnation <laughs> of the love of money or something. <laughs> but there was our little daily excess, our little indulgence, if you will. All right, we'll see you soon. We're back already. Well, I just said I'll see you in a minute. And look, oh, the <laughs> power of time travel. Uh, we know that the law is good. Verse 8. Where are we? 1 Timothy chapter 1. Yeah, oh, that was sweet. Very good. <laughs> I know. I get to the, <laughs> they call me get to the point, Carl Bonner. <laughs> right? Or maybe they're just telling me to get to the point. I don't know. Um, but let's go to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 verse 8 where we left off last week. Uh, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law... Well, it's kind of like, what's... <laughs> like, that's, it's what? fair enough. Um, yeah. it is, I just feel it's a bit like, oh, well, looky, isn't it? Well, I mean... I, okay. Properly. This implies... Let's just talk about this half of the verse for a minute. Um, this implies that you can use the word properly or improperly. So let's fill me in. What's improperly using the law? Improperly using the law would be to teach it. Uh, but not to live it. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, okay, <laughs> to some extent, right? Uh, but they're not even teaching it correctly. So these right. false teachers are uh, bogging down in it. They're using it as a weapon to justify their behaviours and yeah. to oppress others. Yep. They selectively take out the law to condemn criticism. I've seen this in churches where people say, oh, you know, don't, uh, don't bring an accusation against an elder unless there are two or more witnesses. And they really love that law. Right. But they don't really love the law that says... You know that leaders will be held to double standard, and that a leader should be worthy of honour. And um, it, you can sort of selectively apply the law in a way that holds on to your power and abuses and marginalises others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of Christian people have a bad relationship with the law of God. They think the gospel is the opposite of law. They think that the law of God is almost a bad thing. That mm. Paul's statement he goes against that. He says, "Yeah, it's possible mm. to misuse the law, but the law of God is good." If one uses it properly. Mm. Verse 9. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, for rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doc- uh, sound doctrine. I almost said doctrines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> quack, quack. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the point here is that the law has a purpose and that its purpose is for ungodly people, mm. for sinners. What is the purpose of the law for ungodly people and for sinners? Mm. Well, I guess it, it's to highlight uh, their sin. So looking at the law and thinking, oh, God wants me to do all of these things um, in order to be righteous. Uh, but I cannot do those things. In fact, I've you know broken most of those things. Okay, so the first use of the law is actually to draw attention to sin so that you might repent? Yeah. Right, yeah. That is that is one use of the law. One of the right uses of the law is not actually to self-justify, which is what the false teachers are using it for, mm. while marginalizing others, but to call attention to sin so that repentance might result. Mm. What else might the law be good for? Uh, going off that, to show how separate how distinct we are from God in his perfection uh, as to our sinful nature in not being able to uphold that law. Okay, so the law might reveal something of the character of God. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's not in one. That's not in the traditional uh, three uses of the law kind of uh, way that we talk about in in, in our school of theology. Mm-hmm. But I think that's correct. Uh, that one use of the law is to reveal the character of God and to highlight uh, a picture, maybe, of what Jesus was like. Mm. Mm. Um, so we've got two there. We've got to reveal our own sin, mm. to reveal the character of God, which is related to that first one. Mm. What are the other? To reveal uh, God's order, God's plan for creation, God's plan for how we had to relate to one another. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll spread that over two things. Mm. Um, because this is how we've traditionally taught this in you know, Anglican churches, that the law has three primary uses. One is to reveal sin by way of revealing the character of God. That's really the mm. same thing. Mm. Um, and two is to instruct Christians who repent of sin and show them how they ought to live. Mm. So the law does have a place in informing Christian behavior. Because once you love God, you, you really should care about what he's asked people to do. Mm. Um, it doesn't justify you. We don't teach that the law justifies you or makes you right in God's sight. But if you are justified by faith, if you are right in God's sight, then shouldn't you make it your prerogative to please God? Mm. That was a loud truck. <laughs> anyway, uh, shouldn't you make it your prerogative to please God once, once you're right in his sight? Uh, the third use of the law would typically be to restrain wickedness in society. Yeah. That there is some value, actually, in the law of God instructing uh, courts and human social structures and governments and nations so that uh, people en masse might be uh, ordered according to God's pattern for the world. Mm. And that's flawed. You can't perfectly enforce God's laws in a broken world. Uh, you can't perfectly correct people to follow them. But it doesn't make it worthless to try. Mm. Just because you can't do a perfect job doesn't mean you shouldn't attempt, you know, some kind of order. <laughs> mm. Which is why I suppose it lists all of these different types of people. You know, people who kill their fathers or mothers, murderers, um, ungodly, mm. sinful, all of those things. Mm. Kind of relating back to that order, that good order that God has set of, of the best way to live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Here's uh, a question. Isn't he just repeating himself when he says ungodly, sinful, unholy? Are they more or less the same? Uh, no, they're, like they can they're be related concepts, different. but they're quite different. Mm. Um, to be ungodly, specifically, is to be unlike God. Mm. To be sinful is to break his order. Now, that might be the way in which we are ungodly, Yeah. but it's not the same word. It has yeah. a subtly different meaning. Yeah. Uh, and then to be unholy um, is to not be like those who are set apart for God's purposes. So, mm. yeah, obviously the words are related. You can't really um, separate them as completely different things, but they're emphasizing different points. Yeah. Um, same as irreligion. You know? Yeah. Is, yeah. is irreligion the same as, you know, being unholy? Well, kind of. But it's emphasizing uh, a breakaway from the patterns of worship which God has given and a breakaway from the church which God has installed. Because mm. then he says, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, mm-hmm. for murderers. <laughs> well... And I know they're... Slightly different. These correspond, this list roughly corresponds with the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Not tidily or yeah. perfectly, mm-hmm. but there's sort of like a rough grabbing from there. Yeah, that's true. There? So, dishonoring thy father and thy mother, mm. he, he escalates that to killing because he's emphasizing uh, weighty sin. Yeah. Um, and, and murderers, you know, obviously, uh, sexually immoral for those practicing homosexuality. Mm. Um, so, he's qualifying the Ten Commandments to refer to specific cases as well as general ones. 
Mm. So, you know, he talks about sexuality, but he also talks about homosexuality. Um, slave traders is an interesting one here. There's a lot of charge that the New Testament doesn't yeah. explicitly condemn slavery, but slave traders here are condemned. Uh, literally, the word used is, uh, it, it literally says people who sell people. Yeah. Or people who steal people, I think is, is probably more literal. People who steal people. Mm. Um, so, so that has been translated variously as kidnapping. Mm. Mm. But the primary function of kidnapping in the ancient world in Rome was for the purpose of enslaving. Mm. So Bill Mounts, who's a biblical scholar, translated 1 Timothy and the NIV here. Uh, he's the primary translator. Uh, he, he makes the point that this, this term, people who steal people, primarily in the Roman world, does refer to slave trading. Mm. And he makes it very strongly if you want to read his commentary, if you're not convinced. But... Um, <laughs> I, I think that's something worth pointing to when people say the New Testament doesn't condemn slavery. I mean, you could mm. look at the book of Philemon, which is a whole book about slavery mm. and condemning it, but here is a specific use case. Yeah. And who are the perjurers? Perjurers. <laughs> now, perjury specifically is lying under oath. Mm. So giving false testimony. Mm. So it's a kind of lying when you uh, make a false vow, particularly when you accuse someone of a crime they haven't committed. Right. Okay. Which is a big problem. Mm. Yes, people still do this all the time. Uh, it's a big problem because we trust that our systems of justice are reliable and that, you know, we can go to courts to appeal for truth. But what do you do when within the courts, people are full of lies? Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do when the highest offices of human justice are corrupted by false testimony and people making up stories? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The whole system falls apart, isn't it? Well, yeah, but it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. Uh, in fact, in many cases... One person is committing perjury because there's someone pleading not guilty and someone saying they did it. Mm. So one of them has to be lying under oath. Mm. Um, And it may be the victim, it may be the accuser. But we don't always know. Uh, But God judges perjury. Those who make a vow and say, I'm speaking the truth and then lie and who bear false testimony, well, God condemns them Mm. by bearing true testimony against their sin. Mm. Um, Now let's move forward. Uh, This conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So what has Paul just said? The law of God conforms to the gospel of God Mm. when it's used correctly. Yeah, which I feel like is quite a, um, yeah, maybe something that's not spoken about that much in terms of the law being separate from from Christ or the gospel. Mm. Um, But it's pretty clear that, you know, Christ came to fulfill uh, the law Mm. rather than push it away. Yes, and to write the law in our hearts mm. by his Holy Spirit. Mm. So he came to fulfill the law. He was uh, he was a man who lived by the law. And he came to bring the Holy Spirit so that the law might be written on our hearts. Mm. So that we might live the law. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul is dealing with two kinds of false teacher. One who abused the law legalistically to justify themselves and condemn others. And one kind who reject the law entirely and say that grace is a license for sin. Well, Paul's point here is that the law used rightly actually conforms with the gospel. Mm. Mm. And it, not just conforming, but it glorifies God as mm. well. It's not just like it fits in with the gospel in a nice, tidy little puzzle. It's not just that. It's that that glorifies God mm. and sh- helps us to glorify God, mm. I guess. Yeah. And what does Paul say about people who spend excessive amounts of money on black caviar? Damn to hell. Yeah. Take that, Farage's grandma. <laughs> oh, no. 
That's really shit. <laughs> no, look at that. She was a refugee. She grew up eating black caviar and she brought it over with her. Oh to remember the old days. Anyway, look, that was a funny joke to end on. You gotta take, take the own caveat out of your own eye. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, why don't you pray? <laughs> Dylan's gonna pray for us. Of course. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, ultimately for your word, uh, and we thank you for your word today in 1 Timothy. Uh, we thank you for Paul's instruction about the law, Lord, and we pray to thank you that uh, your law. Uh, is a perfect fulfillment uh, of your gospel, Lord, and it actually helps to glorify you. Uh, we can gain a clearer and grander picture of you and your nature, your characteristics. And we pray that we would uh, ever seek your glory in reading your word and following your son, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, we're all outside. <laughs> We've gone outside for a bit of a relaxation. We are line. at one with nature. We've got to talk slow, remember? Oh. Mm. This is the relaxation zone. Now, there has been some evidence that's shown that vitamin D rates are connected with the severity of uh, COVID cases. Very compelling right. evidence. There's an episode of Radiolab on it, although I hate that podcast. Ours is way better. Uh, but there, you know, there's some very compelling evidence that vitamin D is a big determinative factor in whether you'll have a case of COVID that is severe or asymptomatic. Wow. So get nice. that. Got to get that vitamin D. Yeah. You got to get stuff. it. How do you get it? Well, you go outside. Like mm. we are right now. We are out on the patio enjoying God's great gift to Norman Hurst this sunny day. Uh, shining through the treetops. Claire just <laughs> fell over. <laughs> She's very graceful. Bird-like in proportion. Sorry. And I've got a yoga dice. So we're just going to do a little bit of yoga. And I'll invite you to, wherever you are, just join us. If you're driving, you might have to recline the seat and roll it back. Because some of these poses require a full range of motion. 180 degree. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. they can be done while driving. They could obviously. be done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, they could be done while driving. Uh, <laughs> if you're skilled enough. Yeah, downward dog might, you might run over a dog, but um, here's our first yoga pose. This is my favorite one while driving. It's called knees to chest. <laughs> so we're going to lie on our backs. And if you're at home, I'm going to guide you through this. You're going to lie on your backs, press your knees up against your chest and just hold it. It's a good stretch. Now, Dylan, can you shout out what you're feeling to the viewers at home? You'll have to talk up. I'm feeling very intensely the... Screws in your, in your <laughs> <laughs> the screws in your wooden patio. Uh, yeah, he's lying on a protruding nail from the <laughs> from the deck. Claire, how are you feeling in here? Um, I feel real small. <laughs> so what's new? Smaller than existential. <laughs> smaller than normal, which is really saying something. But does that make God feel bigger to you? Yes, it does. All in perspective. I feel like I could fit in a suitcase. I feel like. <laughs> I'm rolling the yoga dice. Well, this one is resting pose. We're just going to lie flat on our backs, straight out. This one's great. Just go rigid. It's like a plank on your back. This isn't yoga. Yeah, no, this is a very... This is sleeping lions. Whoops. Claire, how do you feel about this pose? Um, it's fine. It's just like, you know, sleeping, I guess. Um, did you ever play sleeping lions? I like that. 
I called it dead soldiers, but oh. yeah, it's the same thing. Why would the lions have to pretend they're sleeping? The game makes no sense. Poachers. Okay. One more pose. One more pose. Um, this is the warrior. It actually says warrior two. There must be two warrior poses. Now, to do this pose, you gotta put your arms out straight like a T-shape, bend one knee, and then straighten lunge. your back leg like in a lunge position. Lunges and And then if you can line up your arms with your legs, like you're about to throw a spear. Like you're about to throw a spear, or you just have. Javelin. Chinos are a bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> now, how does this one make you feel, Dylan? Well, again, chinos are very restricting. Uh, <laughs> but otherwise, not too bad. Not I feel bad. powerful. Yeah. I feel ready to take on the world, you know? I feel like a ninja warrior. Oh, well, we might leave you with that. Uh, listeners at home, with some yoga exercises. Enjoy. You can pick up these yoga dice at Kmart, bit of buzz marketing. Go check them out. Getting a few weird looks from there. Pedestrians. Yeah, there was a woman just watching us. Yeah, they just envy our perfect health. Mm. We'll see you later.